A reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 10, starting in verse 25. Then an expert in the law stood up to test him, saying, Teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law? He asked him. How do you read it? He answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, he told him. Do this, and you will live. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus took up the question and said, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to go, be going down that road. When he saw him, he passed by on the other side. In the same way, a Levite, when he arrived at the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan on his journey came up to him, and when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him. When I come back, I'll reimburse you whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? The one who showed mercy on him, he said. Then Jesus told him, Go and do the same. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. This morning we are continuing in our series, Life Interrupted, but also that interruption is lived together. And today we're in Luke chapter 10. And in Luke chapter 10, we hear the famous parable of the Good Samaritan, as Max read. What do you think that parable is all about? I want you to spend a few moments talking about it with one another. It's a parable that we tell children to teach them that they should love one another and care for one another, especially the outsider who's over there, who's not involved, who's different than us. And so we give them this parable so that they would know to care for one another. But the parable's a lot more than that, isn't it? It's interesting to note that this parable, which we find in Luke chapter 10, and that's our text for this morning, is found in actually only Luke. Matthew doesn't record this story. Mark doesn't record this story. And John does not record the story. Luke alone records this famous parable, probably one of the most famous parables. So why does Luke record it? Well, where does Luke record it? In Matthew's gospel, give me a moment. In Matthew's gospel, he begins the ministry of Jesus after he has called his disciples by Jesus ascending up on top of a mountain, and then he begins to speak to the people. And he teaches them about a righteousness that is greater than that of the scribes and the Pharisees. And in this great sermon, we know it as the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapters 5, 6, and 7, Jesus describes what life in the kingdom is like. And he invites everyone there to come and to be a part of it. 
But, but he ends it with this. And don't just listen to my words. This is my paraphrase. Don't just listen to my words. Because if you just listen and you never do, you're a fool. But if you listen and do, then you're wise. You're a wise man who, who built not on sand, but on a sure foundation. Immediately in Matthew's gospel, chapters 8 and 9, Jesus goes out after preaching a message. He goes out and he models what that life in the kingdom looks like. And he cares for those. He heals those that are sick. Those that are held captive to demon possession, he sets them free. And Jesus does the work that he came to do. The preaching of the good news that the kingdom of God, God's reign in the world is now here. And Jesus, as the king, is beginning to share this new life and hope and peace. Still Matthew's gospel, chapter 10. He then sends out the disciples to go and do likewise. It's interesting. I, I like the modeling of that, don't you? Jesus preaches a message. He then goes and lives out that message. And then those who dare to follow him, Jesus sends them out too. And they do what Jesus said. And they do what Jesus did because they themselves were followers of Jesus. When we get this parable right here in Luke chapter 10, it's right after Jesus has sent out his disciples two by two so that they might go and do what Jesus himself has done so that they might bring hope and peace to a world that didn't understand hope and peace to a world that is captive Jesus brings freedom to a world that is diseased Jesus brings health to a world that is violent Jesus brings an interruption that changes everything. And so it's right after the disciples are sent out and then they return to celebrate what they had experienced. Then there's this, hmm, why don't we just call it an interruption? Jesus himself is interrupted and that's how we get this parable. After Jesus teaching and doing and sending others to do likewise, as he goes out, and, and, and interestingly enough, we all know this, Jesus, at least I believe we all know this, Jesus spends three-ish, three and a bit years out of a 30-plus year life out in front doing ministry with others, preaching and teaching, you've got to make the most of your time, Jesus. And yet, as I look through the Gospels, what I really see is Jesus doing things, but mostly being interrupted. Like, isn't, isn't the preaching of Jesus the most... No, not the preaching. Isn't the actions of Jesus the most important? Well, probably. Well, what about what the disciples are doing? Isn't that what it is really all about? And, and honestly, this is the beauty of what the Gospels are trying to record with, with honesty and with integrity, that what we see is when God takes on human flesh and comes down so that the world might see in the perfect fullness, God in flesh engaging this broken world, all we see is 
Interruption and interruption and interruption and interruption. And Jesus is interrupted. The parable that we have this morning, I don't know what you thought it was all about. It, it is in part about Jesus being interrupted by somebody who wants to come and test him. Boy, can you imagine? It's, this is the teacher being tested. Look, look at the text. In, in verse 25, Luke records, on one occasion, an expert, the expert quizzing Jesus, Interesting. An expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. And, and, and by the way, we, I think we have to be a little careful that that idea of, of testing doesn't necessarily need to be sinister. I, I don't know if he is, um, um, uh, you know, trying to definitely try to prove that Jesus is right. I know I, I think there's some kind of an adversarial position between this expert of the law and Jesus. But, but I don't see a reason in the text to believe that he's doing anything more than what would be very common when expert meets genius. And, and here we have the expert in the law standing up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? I, I don't think he's being smug. I don't think it's like, ha, 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 I got you with this one. There's no reason to believe that he's not doing anything more than asking a really serious question to someone that he believes is at least got a, a, a view of the, of, the, of the law of Moses, a view of what it means to live, to be in union with God. And he's asking Jesus, like, what, does one, what, what, what must one do to inherit eternal life? We think, you know, go to heaven. But it's, it's much more than that in that original first century context. What does it look like to be at peace with God, to, to have the life that God desires, to have God's stamp of approval on your life? What does that look like? And Jesus responds back like he does usually when he's tested. What is written in the law, he replied, how do you read it? And Jesus you know, turns the tables around and says, hey, hey I'll, I'll, I'll give you, what do you think? And the expert in the law goes along. And, and, and he does what, what Jesus even recognizes. All the law is summed up. All of the commands, over 600 of them, commands, are summed up in this, he says. Here's what he answers. Verse 27, love the Lord your God. We all know this answer. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, with all your mind. That literally is, be very careful dividing that up and then having a different sermon on each aspect of a, of a person's um, uh, kind of their makeup. This is our, our mind, what we think, and this is our heart, what we feel. Um, it's interesting that in, in the original Old Testament text, it doesn't divide up like heart and mind. That, that would be a, a New Testament idea. In the Old Testament, it's your heart, meaning like all of you. And that's what he's getting at here. Love God with all of you and love your neighbor as yourself. In, in other encounters, when Jesus, he says, Jesus makes this, this comment that all of the law and the prophets are summed up in this. And, and here, Jesus just says, you've answered correctly. Do this, Jesus says, as he goes to dismiss him almost. Do this and you will live. But that wasn't enough. Like the answer itself was agreed upon. 
No, nobody was arguing that. The expert in the law wasn't disagreeing with Jesus, and Jesus wasn't disagreeing with the expert in the law. So then where do we go from here? And, and Jesus seems to point out, much like the rich young man who wants to come to Jesus, who's asking a very similar question. What, is it, what, is it, what does eternal life look like? How do, I, how do I get Nicodemus goes to Jesus wanting eternal life? The Samaritan at the well is wanting from Jesus something that is just more these interruptions of people coming to Jesus and seeing in him something that is more, and they're asking this more that you talk about, this more that you offer. Maybe some of them are beginning to believe this more that you even are or represent. Like, what is that? And so this expert in the law is not done. And so what happens? He basically, wanting to justify himself, the text goes on to say, he asks the question, yeah, but who is my neighbor? Now, now by the way, I, I don't think he's trying to dodge it. Again, I think preachers make too much of the smaller details in the story. Um, maybe because we need to try and find another point. But that's not happening here. He's asking a very legitimate question, and in part, it was a kind of way that, that, that his experts in the law would, would try to get to a deeper understanding of the text. They thought that by additional um, contemplation, that we could work through the weeds of the text, because in the end, it says to love your neighbor, and we really want to be careful to not love someone that's not our neighbor. And we want to make sure that we follow the law. There is a, a devotion that they have that they're wanting to follow through. And, and when we do those kinds of things, we, we do that, as the text describes, in order that we might justify ourselves. And Jesus cuts through all of that like he does so many times with a parable. And then he tells the story of the Good Samaritan. We know the story. You've heard the story this morning. And what's interesting is, is that in this story, we, we find that, much like in Matthew's gospel or even like we see in Luke, that what God says and what we say we believe that God says needs to match up with how we live our life. That when we say that we love God and we want to obey God, then that matches up with what we do and how we live our lives. That there is an integrity to who we are. That's why in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says that your righteousness must exceed that of the scribes and the Pharisees. Not, not even trying to throw them under the bus, but Jesus desire, desires that his followers, that his students not just know him, but they model their lives after him. Not just that they would know the right answer, but that they would be the right answer. That they would live out the implications of the truths that they just said. I, I guess love God and love your neighbor isn't just something that you write down on a test. What if life is the test? And, and what if interruptions just make the test harder. I want to talk about interruptions. Um, there's a, a statement that we used to always joke about when I was teaching at the college, and we would say, you know, if it wasn't for the students, I could get a lot more work done around here. Ha, 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 ha. 
but it's true. I, I can't tell you how many times classes were from seven in the morning until little afternoon. And then I had all afternoon to prepare for my classes the next day. And, and literally, I had a 7 o'clock class, an 8 o'clock class, a 9 o'clock class chapel, and then uh, that was at 10 o'clock, and then an 11 o'clock class. And then I have from about 1.30 or so to 6 or so to prepare all of my lessons for the next day. And if it wasn't for those students, come in, Professor Johnson, um, I have a question. Oh, you have a question. I don't know if I have time for you to have questions. Um, can this wait? No? Okay. Is it about class? No. Okay, remember, you're a Christian. <laughs> you're following Jesus. How, how can I help you, young Stephen? If it wasn't for students, I could get a lot of work done. It's interesting that I've been listening to a lot of people that are really struggling with this interruption. Everybody, back in your houses. Moms, dads, I need you to teach your children. And you also need to make sure there's recess and playtime. No, 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 but you can't play with other kids. And I've heard a lot of parents just describe, yeah, this isn't what we were expecting, interruption. And man, is it hard. Yeah. Parenting is hard. I remember being overwhelmed with the interruption, interruption after interruption at night. I'm trying to sleep. And uh, that's why I'm really grateful for Andrea. I'm trying to sleep, and, and our, our children would just wake up crying. And I'm, what an, I don't know if I have time for this. I, I got to get up and work in the morning. Yeah, but they need to be fed, and they need to be changed. Interruption. I know what even you're thinking. I've heard a lot of people talk about this with, with just the disruption in the workplace and, and, and people without customers coming in. Boy, we can get a lot more done around here without customers. Play that out. You do know, Professor Johnson, that if there are no students, then we don't need you here. You do know, Mom and Dad, that if there's no crying child in the night, then we really don't need you as parents. And you really do know that although you can get a lot of work done around your store, if there's no customers, it all falls apart. C.S. Lewis puts it this way, because why? He understands that these things that we might call interruptions, if you just stop and think about it, the vast majority of our interruptions are people which means they're really not interruptions, they're people. I began to count the interruptions that I've had in just the last about two or three days while I've been working on this message and people are calling and marriages are struggling and people are struggling and people have questions. And by the way, I'm about to apply for a new job and I want to use you as a reference. Hey, we're thinking about going to the Christian school and would you write me a letter? And I wanted to say, listen, I've got a sermon to prepare. And then I remembered, like, these aren't interruptions. These are people. C.S. Lewis, see, for Scott Irwin, he's not the only one reading C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis. The great thing, if one can, is to stop regarding all the unpleasant things as interruptions of one's own life. 
or real life. The truth is, of course, that what one calls the interruptions are precisely one's real life. The life God is sending one day by day. Wow, that's good. C.S. Lewis understands that indeed um, the things that I called when I was a professor or an, an, an interruption or as a sermon writer, an interruption, are people's lives. What, what's the point of a sermon if we never get to live it out? What, what's the point of a lesson if we never get to live out the implications of that lesson? And Jesus knew that, and Jesus models that, and this expert in the law, and I'm just going to assume best by him, is still trying to figure that out. Maybe you're still trying to figure that out. I'm still trying to figure that out. And so to us this morning, Jesus gives us this parable. Yeah, this isn't just for kids so that they learn to be nice to those kids that are not being treated fairly. Remember the parable of the Good Samaritan. No, this is a constant reminder to anyone who dares believe that they can believe that they have eternal life, that they have union and peace with God, that they have hope of an everlasting, forever presence of God experience for their lives forever and ever. Amen. To believe that they have that without recognizing the very root of what it means to love God and love one another means you don't understand God and you don't understand what it means to follow him and to love him when you don't recognize or see like a Pharisee or like a, 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 a priest or a Levite passing by on the other side. When you don't recognize that this interruption just comes into our lives. And, and this is what Jesus is pointing out to this young man who I'm just going to assume is trying to find out the right answer. And Jesus doesn't say to him, yeah, you're way off. No, Jesus actually says, your idea of loving God and loving others is actually correct. Now go and do it. And, and, and the man wasn't settled with that. And I think one of the reasons why is because if you just leave the door open, that neighbor is anyone. I don't know if I have time for that. Here's the truth. People, even the best of people, are demanding and broken and time-consuming. Jesus describes the priest and the Levite just walking by on the other side and Commentators wonder if that's because they don't want to become unclean. Maybe perhaps he's dead. I, I don't know all of that. I just know that when the Good Samaritan finally stops and he has to take him to the inn and then he has to come back and pay for the, for the services rendered, it just seems like it is more problem than it... Do I need to do this? See, that's the question that far too many of those of us who want to claim that we're followers of Jesus, we ask that question, do I have time for this? Do I have time for this relationship? What's the upside? Wow, this, this parable isn't just for children. This parable is for anyone who dares believe that they can have a relationship with God that is healthy and vibrant and appropriate, who, who somehow still, can, still considers people as interruptions. 
people are demanding and broken and time-consuming. And, and Jesus says, the one who gets God and the one who gets me and the one who is living life integrated will live life interrupted. They will live life interrupted and together because they understand that's just what life in a broken world is like. And you are now my ambassadors being sent out. It's interesting, there's a lot of talk about this Samaritan idea, and we love to picture most of the, the, the Samaritans as, as those people who really are great people, but they've just, they're not being treated as fairly and as kindly as they should have. And the Samaritans were not kind to the Jews, and the Jews just treated them right back. What we actually have is, is Jesus pointing out to this expert in the law. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to take what it means to follow God and really push it to the limits. Because not only are just even some good people demanding and broken and time-consuming, but I want you to realize the depths that God goes to make these things right. Wow. And that's the shocking part. Um, I, I know people, I, I've talked with people and I asked them, are, are you in, are you in biblical community? Are you in a life group? You know, I'd like to be, um, we're just really busy right now. Like we just don't know. I don't know if we have the time, you know, are, are you in, a, are you in a life group or are you, are you somehow get, you know, I really, really, really would like to, but man, I'll say we were in a life group one time and it was so hard because we were with this one couple. I don't want to say who they were. You probably know them, but oh, it was so difficult. And they had problem after problem after problem. I, I know. Like, I get it. Like, just even this afternoon, I'm, I'm trying to get ready so that I can prepare this message. And Mark Heiner called me. And he had, a, it wasn't about him, but it was about a friend of his. And hey, would you mind taking, and I wanted to tell him, listen, I am preaching a sermon about caring for one another, and I don't have time for you right now. Do you see the problem? Like what Jesus is, is talking about here is not just, you need to be nice to the outsider. And it's not even, you need to be nice. It's that in order for us to really have eternal life, life in union and unison with God, that we must love God, and we demonstrate this by loving others, that we need to deal with the unbelievable truth that we honor God by how we care for others, that we obey God, which is a good thing to do, that we actually obey God. This is an expert in the law who's asking this question. We obey God by sacrificing to others. You know, it's interesting. I, if, if I wanted to just kind of get kind of fancy with the sermon, well, who is my neighbor? And maybe the question, like, who is your neighbor, but who's not your neighbor? But listen, the real guts of this entire message that Jesus is driving at is he's trying to expose the brokenness in this expert of the law, in this person who believes that somehow they can be a follower of Jesus on their own terms, without interruption, without dealing with problem people or people that they don't like or people that they don't agree with. Listen, the world is broken. 
We, we had more evidence of that this week. There are people and situations, and it is just wearing us all thin. And Jesus says, yeah. And we stop and we care for them. We, we, we go out of our way to do this. You know, Drew taught us a few weeks ago that we should bear with one another in a spirit of love. Why? Because that's what neighbors do. Ryan taught us to be careful in discerning what needs to be fought for, especially among our brothers and sisters. And we need to consider what really needs to be said for the sake of unity. Why? Because that's what neighborly loving people do. Scott really reminded us last week that we need to be humble before the Lord and place our ultimate hope and desire in him. Why? Because that's what people who come together and who recognize who Jesus Christ is, like, like that's how we live our lives together. You know, it's interesting. The, the greatest picture of the story of the Good Samaritan is actually in the life of Jesus Christ, who did not consider equality with God as something to just be held on to, but he was interrupted. And he emptied himself and he cared for those because, listen, you and I are the ones that are broken and messed up and time consuming. I know we think we're not, but we really are. Like we're the ones that God sacrificed for. And Jesus, on his way to the cross, meets this man who just wants to know who his neighbor is. And as Jesus is trying to love him, he speaks the truth. There are more neighbors than you know, and they are time-consuming. But if you want to say that you truly love God, then you will truly love them. Can I close with this? Paul writes to the church in Philippi after describing this great sacrifice of Jesus for our benefit. He actually writes this. I hope in the Lord to send Timothy to you soon, that I also may be cheered when I receive news about you. I have no one else like him who will show genuine concern for your welfare. By the way, he didn't know these people, but he knew them. For everyone looks out for their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. See what he did there? Paul describes that, that Timothy so loved these people that he just barely knew. He, he loved them so much because he loved Jesus so much. And so he sacrificed for them so much because he wanted to sacrifice for Jesus so much. And that's what the parable of the Good Samaritan is, is about. The parable of the Good Samaritan is the opportunity that you and I have to be very, very honest. Not, not about what we think about people who are different than us, but actually what you and I really think about others and how authentic and genuine and true and real our faith really is. And will we be so grateful for what Jesus Christ has done for us that we would then gladly do the same for others. Let's pray. God, thank you for reminding us of the powerful, personal, 
and painful interruptions of life. Thank you for the example of Jesus and the hope that he brings. And Father, I pray that this morning we can truly look at how we consider others and the difficulties that they create in our own life and respond faithfully. May we recognize that we can only love you in as much as we love others well. May we consider them when we look at the inconvenience that they are probably going to be, but may we love you and love them enough to stop and to care. It's in Jesus' name we trust and pray. Amen.